The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. And I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we take the piss and debunk music fan stereotypes. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So before we dive into our topic today, this is the last episode of 2020, which is kind of insane. We've been doing this for like four and a half months. You know what, Sarah, since everyone's like, okay, end of year, time to be grateful for some things. I'm grateful that one hot August summer day, you called me up and said, I had an idea at 4am last night and we need to start a podcast. And I was like, okay, let's do it. I think if anybody had, if like Big Brother was watching that day and like saw me try to explain this idea to you, they'd be like, this girl's on crack. <laughs> like, don't. Because I was like, listen, you know, you know the three song man, and you're like, what's happening? Yeah. But, like that dude that harasses women on the streets for wearing band shirts. I want to make a whole podcast about that. Yeah. obviously obviously the idea has expanded but you were just like going so many ideas and I was just like writing them all down <laughs> which like is still kind of how things work now but now we're just slightly more organized <laughs> my chaos factor is like still at a hundred percent but like my organized factor is now at like 50 so there we go there. Yeah, but also a big thank you to all of our listeners for supporting us this year and all the new listeners we've gotten. If you're new, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We did see a big influx this week from people being big mad on TikTok. (laughs) I just like, I'm mad that my TikTok niche is reading off historical facts of like men being gross in rock music and now and then like men and some women being like but the times the times they were different it's like mm, we're like the age of consent has always been over 16 so mm. i don't know how different the times were yeah controversial things happening on tiktok if you're not familiar sarah's like viral a viral star we're on our way to viral fame So yeah, you can join us there. But yeah, if you came from TikTok, thank you for joining us. We're very happy to have you. And to our people who've been around for a while, we also appreciate y'all sending all the nice messages, comments, leaving us reviews. We appreciate that so much. You know who you are. Like, it's crazy because Jenna and I, like, we have all these new friends. And it's like, do they know that they're our friends? (laughs) Yeah. If you listen to this and you sent us a message, you're our friend. We talk about you (laughs) all the time. We do. It's quite fun. Like, this is my favorite thing. And I feel like I keep keep saying this, but meeting all of you guys and, like, getting to discuss this stuff and just the fact that, like, we've opened this, like, portal to this conversation to so many people who've reached out and just been, like, I didn't even know that I could have this conversation with people. It's like, no, have this conversation. I'm sure all of your friends are thinking it. And it just means a lot. But now the mission for 2021 is, like, getting some dudes involved in the conversation. 
because unfortunately we're never going to get anything done unless the men are on our side, <laughs> which yep. is really hard for me to say. <laughs> it is so true. But we're, we're very thankful for everybody who's listening and reaching out. Literally, we... I mean, this isn't, obviously isn't going up in real time, but I mean, we literally, we just recently were like 500 followers on Spotify and now it's like 720. And I'm just like. Incredible. It's just incredible. And it's just so nice to know that people are interested enough to be like, I want to come back and visit this at some point, even if they like haven't listened straight away or whatever the case is. And people just like tweeting. I just like can't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's just like, it's amazing. We're constantly humbled and screaming into our pillows. <laughs> and um, also getting those uh, reality checks when we uh, our egos get too big. There's always somebody on TikTok to knock you down a peg. <laughs> always, always. Uh, yeah, lots of Gen Xers, which if people don't know what Gen X are, those are like 40-year-olds. Um, they really don't like how I talk. <laughs> really big mad about my voice, which oh, unfortunately, yeah. this is how I've spoken since I was about eight. So I don't, I don't know. I learned what a vocal fry is, though. They don't I didn't know that was a thing either. They don't have those in England, so I don't, I don't know. What does it, what does it mean? It means that they think I sound like Kim Kardashian when I talk. <laughs> I do. I, I don't know what that sound, that means. I don't know. They think I talk like a valley girl, I guess. I'm not sure, but apparently there's like some slight rasp in my voice that they think I do on purpose to sound sexy, but it means that I don't sound smart. Okay. I'm like, okay, um, tell that to I'm my I'm going to need the misogyny to take a back seat. <laughs> and my master's degree, but you do you. <laughs> All right. So, um... <laughs> Speaking of misogyny. <laughs> yeah, what are we talking about today, Sarah? We're diving straight into sexism, misogyny, and songwriting, going over some personal anecdotes, some psychological theory, lots of stats. <laughs> we're getting yeah. we're getting numerical on your guys' asses. <laughs> we have a we have a packed episode. We have a packed episode. It's a lot to unpack to the point of every single point that we hit on in this episode will probably be an episode in and of itself at some yep. point in the future. So prepare yourselves to have to stick with us for at least another year because that's how long it's going to take to unpack all of these ideas. Misogyny and sexism in songwriting is rampant. Yeah, especially like coded misogyny, which we'll Ooh. cover, but yeah. it's it's just interesting the way that different genres choose to highlight sexism in their ways. But speaking of this, and obviously, like we all know that women can be just as sexist against each other or have internalized misogyny, which is my favorite buzzword to bring up in this podcast. So speaking of which, Jenna, can you let our lovely listeners know just exactly how many women songwriters there are in the music industry? Yeah, so USC Annenberg did a study between 2012 and 2019 looking at 800 most popular songs in that time period. And they broke that down to get these stats. So out of all artists in that category, only 21.7% are women. 21%. That's like literally a fifth of all songwriters or all artists are women, which is crazy, but it gets even worse. So <laughs> sit tight. Out of songwriters, only 12.5% are women. And out of producers, only 2.6% are women. So basically like what you're saying is, is that the top 800 songs so is that like top 10 from every I'm, month i'm assuming it's a top 100 from eight, eight years from 2012 oh, right. to 2019 
Okay, so in the top 100 songs from those years, only 21.7% of the artists, I just feel like as a teen, I refuse to listen to so many female artists that I'm like, how, how are there that little of them? I know. And so it's kind of interesting when you think about like, when you see festival lineups and like festivals get like a lot of shit for not booking women. And it's like, on one hand, like they can do better to book more women. But on the other hand, women in music just like don't exist in the same numbers. Or if they do, it's all very like indie level, not mainstream. Yeah. Cause, but I mean, that's the thing though, is I feel like a lot of these festivals are always like lauded as, especially like the ones in England that a lot of people get big mad about. It's like, there's so many alternative, not radio played female artists. It's just, it's just interesting. Cause I guess in my mind, like the big stars are all women. Like the big musicians are like Lady Gaga and Ariana Grande and Miley Cyrus, Halsey, who, yeah. what, Taylor Swift, you know, and the fact and those that- those are all five of them. <laughs> those are the only five women all in All five music. of them. But you know, like, I just feel like when people are reporting on celebrity musicians, I feel like they're- tend to be female but I guess it's just the scope of things well yeah I mean I think female musicians make more drama they make more headlines and like so this I mean this directly ties into the subject today of women being the subject of songs and not always having the power of what they're saying but I think also this stat of like only 12 and a half percent are songwriters just goes to show that like the topics of these songs the lyrics are created by men for largely male audiences I don't know I mean that in and of itself is just crazy yeah and I mean a good example of that is that Carol King who's famous for her songwriting and also her singing and like has a Broadway musical about her career as like a songwriter and turned into a singer she started off writing songs I think with her husband and so it was like a songwriting duo so it wasn't even like I feel like even then it was like oh this woman's not allowed to write a song alone like obviously I wasn't alive in the 60s so I don't know if that's what actually happened but I feel like you don't hear as much about women songwriters from back in the heyday of music and so I just think that it's interesting that there is one that's super famous and I don't know if we hear about the rest of them or if there are any yeah and while we're on the topic I would also like to mention that out of 1093 producing credits only eight of those went to women of color so the stats are even slimmer for women of color in the music industry so annoying because all music started with black people (laughs) and so it's just frustrating because it's like rock music would be nothing without black women and black men in rhythm blues and all these other genres Mm -hmm. like paving the way for music and they just get thrown to the wayside because it's easier to like continuously hire like calvin harris (laughs) why all right should we get into some of your articles yeah so i thought it would be a disservice to (laughs) y'all if we just went into me shitting on ed sheeran for an hour and a half so i did some proper research (laughs) into the psychology behind this to give you some doctor's thoughts on like what's going on within music and it's it's really interesting because I feel like the conversation of oh the song hates me like (laughs) this song's like not very positive about women is something that happens a lot but there aren't a ton of scholarly articles about this and if they are they very heavily focus on rap and hip-hop which I think is unfair because 
as I said at the, in the intro to this, so much music that's not rap and hip hop does have very coded and veiled like sexism and misogyny within the lyrics, but it's like poetic rather than like straight up saying it how it is. So if anything, like rap and hip hop should just be celebrated for being real about their misogyny instead of internalizing it. So I'm like At least you know it. <laughs> having having girls like scream these heinous lyrics. But <laughs> basically in a study done by the official journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, they were looking into like the association and correlation between music listened to and sexual behavior of adolescents, which I think is quite interesting. And Something that I don't think is really thought about that much. But so this doctor, Stephen C. Martino, said that their research suggests that degrading sexual lyrics do more than go in one ear and out the other. And he goes, it may be that listening to popular music, regardless of its content, results in heightened physiological arousal that through a process of excitation transfer incites sexual behavior among teens. So basically, in layman's terms, he's saying that when you listen to if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. It's telling you that um, it's okay for your boyfriend to hook up with your friends because you all got to test the, the car before you buy it. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's what that meant, but okay. Well, no, it's not exactly what it meant, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. I, that was just the first song that popped into my head, so I decided to run with it. <laughs> well, it's just it's just any any lyrics that are sexually suggestive of like, yeah. You could just be listening. I think another article here was saying like, if you're just like listening to it, you're maybe not necessarily thinking about it. But when you actually read the lyrics, you're like, oh my God. Like, but like all of that is like, um, you know, just kind of like sitting in your brain marinating. And then like, it's saying that there's actually proof that this is like changing behavior in teens. Well, yeah, I mean, the Dr. Martino also said in this study that the messages in these songs that these girls are getting, like, from the lyrics, they're telling them that they're primarily valued for their sexuality and their sex appeal, which can be, like, super damaging to girls' self-esteem. And I feel like while obviously, so this was written in... 2006 so it's like the heyday of the internet so things aren't you're not getting thrown like the imagery that we're getting thrown nowadays so it's not it's obviously it's still common to like see the photos of like the quote-unquote expected norm of like what a woman's supposed to look like or act like but mostly in those days you're buying cds listening to the radio and you're hearing these people explain what they expect women to be like and you're kind of in a way getting brainwashed into like what's expected you and I just think the fact that like there's psychological proof that this is an occurrence rather than just girls yelling from the rooftops that this is a thing it can help our case in some senses but I just think it's quite interesting because I feel like so many times adults will listen to music in a car with a kid and be like oh they don't understand they don't know but I think like I can still recite lyrics of songs I heard twice when I was 10 like Spears hit me baby one more time <laughs> what was Oof. that about <laughs> but yeah like those those things that like live in your brain and I feel like as you're maturing and you're starting to learn what these things actually are like a song that you heard when you were 10 has so much more meaning when you're 15 and then has so much more meaning when you're 20 and 25 and so on and so forth but I feel like when you're 15 and the song you've been listening to since you were a kid starts to like 
ruminate in your brain, instead of you talking about it, it's going to change who you are. It becomes internalized misogyny. (laughs) We can't escape it. No one is immune to internalized misogyny. It's all around us. Yeah, it's just like a predisposed thing where you can know so many good men in your life, but inside of them, they've been pre-programmed to like believe a certain thing. The predisposed like internalized misogyny, like these men aren't taught or don't go after the same stuff that we go after as we get older to like relearn these things. Mm. So like the internalized misogyny just sticks longer and it takes more unfortunate teaching of women to men being like, hey, like blurred lines was bad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it goes for like anything. People just don't care unless it directly affects them. So men can get off easy not worrying about this type of stuff because it doesn't affect them because they're the ones in power. I think like probably if there was like a, we had a more recent study about like the past 10 years of like sexism and lyrics would probably like be much, much higher than it was like in the nineties and two thousands even. But I think it's such a weird age of like teens growing up on the internet now. But I think in another way, they're also very aware of like social and cultural issues. And a lot of them are putting in the work as teenagers to change this stuff. So it will be really interesting to see how things shift as they get older, because they are so aware already at a young age. Yeah, I mean, like in 2007, which was only like a year later the american psychological association did another study that was the sexualization of girls is linked to common mental health problems in girls and women eating disorders low self-esteem and depression so it's like a task force report and the thing that really stuck with me on this is that they were saying because like this was mostly focusing on media but i feel like this also correlates very heavily to music in that they're saying like the sexualization and objectification undermine a person's confidence in and comfort with her own body leading to emotional and self-image problems such as shame and anxiety which i feel like is a huge issue with like younger millennials and gen z because of obviously like television film media but also music media and like the level of production behind like music videos and all this stuff and you see these women coming into popular music and they have to like dress a certain way and act a certain way and then you hear these men singing about these things and like women in music videos or women in photo shoots are always more of a prop than anything else and so I feel like there's just the constant refreshing of you're an object (laughs) just a reminder it's so hard to say but it feels like with the internet and the media and just how things exploded since the age of the internet that like things like this are so much more prevalent and like rampant across media but at the same time we're also a lot more aware of body image and things like that and how bad things have gotten with depression and like low self-esteem and stuff like that it's both at a peak of like the content that's being produced that's objectifying women and at the same time us being aware that it's objectifying women so it's kind of like this weird i don't know it's just it's just a weird situation i mean like like i said it will be interesting to see what happens from here in like 20 years so another like scholarly article thing that i pulled was this woman named Sarah Neff is like her thesis for Western Michigan University and it's called sexism across musical genres a comparison and so she broke down sexism into three subtypes which is benevolent sexism hostile sexism and ambivalent sexism and then she 
took the six main music genres, which are rap, hip hop, country, rock, alternative, and dance music from the top 10 chart of 2013 and like broke it all down into what had what type of sexism within them. And this correlates back to like me saying that like rap and hip hop music is very much more hostile sexism. So they're like angry, they're like big mad. But it's not so much like actual anger as like, we're just going to be like real about how (laughs) we don't get like women are objects. Whereas the rock and alternative music had more of like ambivalent and benevolent sexism in it. But I think also like I don't I couldn't tell from her thesis whether she was like sifting through the lyrics herself or whether she did AI I'm pretty sure she just sifted through them herself but I think it would be interesting to know which isn't like stated in this if she's also acknowledging like the coded sexism which is like the poetic justice (laughs) yeah because Like, like based on her report it just seems like there would be so much more in like the rock category Yeah, which she stated, like, in the thing that she was shocked as to how little it was. But I think also more radio-friendly rock music of recent days, I think, is more sad boy rock than anything. But I think that that is mainly, like, coded sexism. So I think that she must not be acknowledging that because, I mean, it was just, like, quite interesting because obviously, like, that's going to skew more heavily towards rap and hip-hop when you're just specifically pulling out very clear signs of those types of sexism Mm -hmm. but I do think it's interesting to sort of break up the types of sexism into it because I would think that coded sexism would have to be on here because it's kind of in between benevolent and ambivalent sexism you know so it's like that weird happy medium between the two (laughs) like turning sexism into poetry as all of our favorite pop punk and emo artists love to do yeah so I don't know it's just it's just interesting like how much stuff I thought would be out there and how little there was. So there's this article on The Stylist that sort of goes into music and misogyny and like why we listen to sexist lyrics. And they spoke to this doctor of music psychology called Dr. Victoria Williamson, who has a book called You Are the Music, How Music Reveals What It Means to Be Human. And I think that that is the most recent actual thought into like writing on this idea so the book was written in 2014 this journalist named lucy foster wrote this article and she said that she like spoke to dr williamson about this and the thing that i thought was really interesting that i think has a lot to do with what we're talking about today is that she was saying that there's an interesting presentation where a researcher had looked at women's attitude to the content of rap lyrics when they read them to when they listened to them in music and when they had watched them in music videos. The research basically found that women had a much more negative attitude about the nature of those lyrics when they read them, less so when they listened to them, and even significantly less so when they watched the videos. And so it's like inevitably dancing to a song will give it less of an impact than if you focus 100% on it. And I feel like that's really relevant to what we're talking about. Because it's like, if you're not paying attention, like, if you're not paying 100% attention to something, you're just kind of like, oh, whatever, this is cool. And then, like, later you go back and you're like, wait, what? What was people yeah. saying? <laughs> yeah, and because, like, I'm someone who I don't listen to the lyrics and songs until I've, like, had a song on repeat and then I, like, I've heard it 10 times. Like, I don't listen to lyrics. And so I could, like, not know what a song is about and like already love it and then go back to realize like oh wait a minute this is some questionable stuff 
Well, I think also there's so many artists where it's like the music playing is just so good. And the singer can have a good voice, but I mean, let's just use Maddie Healy as an example here. Like Maddie Healy does not enunciate when he sings. Like unless you're paying 110% attention to that man, you have no idea what he's singing. And even if you're paying 110% attention, you might still not know what he's singing. There's still some of the 1975 songs that I could not tell you the lyrics to. I could try, but I will be wrong. And so there's tons of artists like that where at some point you're like, is he really singing about like a petticoat? or whatever he's singing about and you have to go look up the lyrics and then you look up the lyrics and you're like oh fuck (laughs) like obviously not that scenario but you know what I mean like you're just like oh this sounds good this feels good like something about this just like exciting yeah so it's really easy to overlook the sexism in the lyrics because you're not always paying attention to it yeah and I feel like that's super prevalent like in the heyday of like rock music where you just get lost in the feeling and the vibe of the music to the point where you're just not acknowledging what these fucking creeps are singing about yeah so i think this is a perfect segue into a book that we actually read to help us do some of the research for this so this book is called under my thumb songs that hate women and the women who love them and it's actually a collection of essays over different artists over different decades and women who are mostly I think music in the music world if not all journalists this book was put together by Rianne Jones and Ellie Davies I thought it was really fascinating it's it's like 200 300 pages there's a lot of chapters in here if you're interested in what we're talking about I definitely recommend going to find this book because I thought it was really interesting but we're gonna break down some of the like common themes that we found throughout this book and talk about the anecdotes both in this book and from our personal lives we're gonna kick it off with the trope of the good girl oh I mean like basically so this this trope in the book starts off talking about like the crooners of the 60s and how there's like the big focus on girls staying at home and like not causing trouble and all that thing but it is a common occurrence of a term within both music and just life of like men trying to make women feel small in some sense not not to kink shame people who like to be referred to as a good girl that's not a problem um, but I mean obviously like every every person who has a beating heart has been made to feel uncomfortable by ramen thick blurred lines and that is like the epitome of a good girl trope in a song of like Ugh. gross you're a good girl i know you want it i know you want it why is it so catchy i hate pharrell so much (laughs) like why'd you do us rotten pharrell i know i I had so much faith in you (laughs) in your big hat so i mean it's a common it's a common used term kanye west likes it drake likes it i guess it's kind of more used nowadays in like the more hip-hop bubble of lyricism but in the olden days it was very big amongst crooners to try and like make women feel less than which I feel like it's still is still sort of why it's used of like remember to be good but I don't like the use of girl I don't know what are your thoughts this yeah this 
trope makes me cringe a lot. I mean, I think it makes sense in the 50s or 60s when it was like women had to be very like mind their P's and Q's and like men were gentlemen. And so it like plays into that a lot. And so since I think we've discarded those types of ideas about gender and society or we'll a lot of us have they've evolved from there so to me like it kind of goes back to that thing of like wanting women to be like pure virgins but also wanting them to be really good at sex and be domineering at the same time and it's like you can't have both and well i mean in the book there's the first chapter of the book is about like frankie valley and the four seasons and dion demucci and like these 1960s crooners And the author of this essay is Christina Newland. And the thing I found interesting of what she said that I think just needs to be acknowledged here is that like Dion had this song called This Little Girl that was about essentially patronizing your girlfriend and like the belief that women, much like children, need firm guidance and discipline or they're liable to misbehave. And I just feel like that is still the common occurrence and like why women are kind of like erased from music making them think anything other than like groupies muses or fangirls and it's like there's so much more to women in music like you don't have to fit into those three categories or you can fit into all three you can fit into one and other ones that aren't within this but I feel like the belief of like oh like women shouldn't misbehave like we need to remind them to be put in their place and stay in their place continues with that belief of like women only exist in like these three categories within the music world which is to like heighten men's ability to create music yeah 100 percent. and i think that leads us into our next theme of being taken advantage of by men, but also being controlled by men to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And there's a chapter about this song called Young Girl, which was pretty if pretty disgusting song, like literally talking about controlling this young girl. And ABBA did like a flip on it and attempts to redeem the song. But there's a quote from this chapter in which Nina Power says, in a world in which those who are most vulnerable are used as a cover story for those with actual power. And I think that's just an underlying theme in music in general when men are writing about women is like women are so often like the subjects of these stories but they have no power themselves they're just demeaned to whatever the man wants to say about them and like that is something that I've always thought to be really interesting about power dynamics and especially in things like music where it's like it feels like men have all the power in the world to tell these stories and women don't get a say in what those stories actually are so I think it's really powerful when women can step up and tell their own stories and know that they're valid in telling their stories because for a long time me personally I always just thought like oh it's just like men just have more validity to say those things and that's like not true at all they just have a platform but that that idea is like such bs yeah I mean obviously like the trope of women being taken advantage of by men is like something that occurs in music a lot but I think also just to not gloss over it there was a chapter in this book discussing Phil Spector who's a bad man (laughs) Um, to put it to put it lightly to keep it in a nutshell we can revisit this at another point but so the crystals were like this huge group in the 60s and he so much so thought that like women were less than and not important that if the lead singer of the crystals was unavailable he would just pick up another woman have her sing it and then be like it's the crystals it's no big deal 
and obviously like that's like the most minor of offenses that this man has done (laughs) he's convicted of murder just to be clear yeah convicted of murder like used to shoot guns in the studio kept ronnie specter like locked up in their house in the city had like a whole ass coffin that he would threaten her with like he's a bad man (laughs) and if you're if you're also not familiar with like rock history he is a huge rock icon he created the wall of sound which was huge in changing pop music rock music in the 60s very much a tortured genius but also a sociopath so also well yeah just a horrible horrible man with a very amazing gift for music which is so fucking annoying but yeah so like obviously there's so many aspects of women being taken advantage of in music not just in lyricism like the runaways are another good example but again i'm gonna go off on a tangent so this isn't necessary <laughs> going down a yeah. rabbit hole. the the main point here is that he often took advantage of young women of color who were coming mm-hmm. straight out of high school and who artists who didn't have like a lot of autonomy outside of this so it's like he was kind of controlling them and like he treated his artists as if they were disposable but he couldn't make music he made without them so we don't it's, like him it's just like a horrific double-edged sword situation of these women in like the mid-60s were finally being able and given the opportunity to have a voice and to kind of have some sort of power and then there's a super famous important producer and music who's like oh yeah I'm gonna like work with these girl groups and like give these black women a voice and like let them have music go out into the world but then at the same time it's like I'm gonna find like these talented 17 year olds and they're gonna be the voices of the crystals but not the faces of them the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly but then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about that's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Which, I mean is something that's been repeated through music history of like producer men discovering young women and or young men and just being like I can make you famous you're talented like I can do all this stuff for you and then just controlling them yeah and I mean and that also goes into like the songwriting side of these things of the heyday of rock music and these men leaning into the fact that there wasn't a war that they were needing to fight And so they were able to focus on their creative side of things rather than like 
being afraid of getting shipped off somewhere but also that led to like the sexual revolution and all the stuff that we've like discussed in the groupies episode and so these men are like leaning into femininity leaning into these things but at the same time everything they're creating is like veiled in misogyny or like Mick Jagger is just like an all-out misogynist um in the songs that he writes and in kind of existence and like that sort of thing but they're also taking advantage of women not only in their lyrics but also in what they do i.e the baby groupie era so if you're here from tiktok you finally reached the point of the episode (laughs) you care (laughs) yeah so there's just like this horrific consistent theme and occurrence within music of these men degrading women in their songs and also degrading them in real life yeah and um and there's a chapter here that talks specifically kind of about rock stars, Lou Reed, David Bowie, Iggy Pop, Mick Jagger, and it's titled It Was a Different Time, which is something that we get com- we get comments about a lot on TikTok. Like, it was a different time. It was okay for them to sleep with that 13-year-old. Like, was it? Um, I think <laughs> this the, the author of this chapter, M. Smith, like, makes the point that looking back kind of makes us redefine as unacceptable what for so many decades has been normalized. And so it is different looking at it out of the the feminist eyes of today of what and that's what a lot of these chapters do is like looking at it in the feminist eyes of today like do we support this music do we love it like do we stop loving it like do we love it less and i think we can't go back and change how things already were the music can't be rewritten but i think you also have to like just be aware of the fact that it was so sexist sometimes Yeah, I think that that's the point is it's like acknowledging that these things happen and that they were bad is not us being like, cancel it, don't listen to them, don't love them. And it's not us being like, oh, that should have been treated the same way then as it's treated now. It's like, of course, like there wasn't the internet. Photo IDs back then, I don't even think there were photo IDs. I think it was just your name. My mom used to tell me that in high school, she used to erase the date of birth to make her older so that she could drink. Like, (laughs) it, it was definitely like a different era, a different time. And also like in those days, these parents are just like, just go out as long as you come home. I don't care what you're doing. So it's very different because you don't have that constant access with like a cell phone or these things. You haven't been trained to feel the need to like consistently know where somebody is or else you panic because you don't have that access. Whereas now we have the access. So we're trained to be like, I haven't heard from them. What's go? Oh no. Oh no. What's going on? So it's like, we acknowledge that. And then the women in this book acknowledge that. And I feel like most humans acknowledge that like of course times were different but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't still be like looked back on and like not romanticized yeah like it's fine that in that time they were romanticized it's fine to be like oh like it would have been cool to be a groupie it's like if you're a legal age groupie yeah totally cool totally chill without those groupies we wouldn't have 50 percent of the songs that we have today you know but at the same time, it's like Iggy Pop writing a song about Sable Star and being like, I fucked her when she was 13. That's disgusting. <laughs> no yeah. matter when it happened, it was disgusting then. It's disgusting now. Like Keith Richards, who I feel like everybody assumes is problematic, is like the least problematic out of all of them and like would just not be around. He'd be like, if these children are around, I'm not count me the fuck out. Like the age of consent existed back then too (laughs) yeah exactly and i think at one point the age of consent was like 21 and now it's 18 or 16 but like the age of consent has never ever been lower than 16 unless like i think unless it's like some states have it where it's like if a 14 year old sleeps with a 14 year old it's fine but they can't sleep with anybody older than 14 and it's like that's gross 
So Smith in this book or in this chapter also says there is something in music in what we perceive as a great art, which allows us to view these men through a lens that skews the borders of our usual firmly held moral code. And this is like the thing with Bowie too. He is such a great like music icon, legend, giant that like it's impossible to just cancel Bowie. I feel like in a lot of cases, people nowadays do take things to like this degree that's a little unnecessary, but also it's like, I don't know what people go through. So it's like, if you've been through something that an artist that you love did to somebody else, like, of course, you're going to be like, I don't want anything to do with this. Like, how dare you make me trust you? Like, I completely get it. But I don't think it's necessary to ignore like good things that Bowie did and like the good music that he made and stuff. But also he like kind of was questionable with like the women he was around and he did lots of questionable things. But so many rock stars did and that's like what rock star behavior was. But I mean like in their songs, they would degrade these women to like the nth degree. So it's like they would probably be treating them badly in real time whether that's like Jamie Page and his BDSM or Mick Jagger and his cheating or what have you, they were not treating these women with the respect that they deserved in real time. And then they would go and write songs and the songs would not respect them either. And it's so clear. And I think that that's why it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around the fact that rock music wouldn't have been on the list of like (laughs) hostile sexism in that woman's article. But I think that rock people just got better at like (laughs) hiding the sexism. But I think also like as times progressed and like women gain more power, it's like harder for rock music, which has always predominantly been something that women gravitate towards for them to continue to be like, I'm going to be blatant about how much I don't like you. This theme a lot, controlling women, goes a lot into like the next thing we kind of outlined, which we titled man plus sex equal power, women plus sex equal weakness. (laughs) And the point is that like, and Mick Jagger is like the prime example of this, but when a man does it, it's powerful. When a woman does it, she's a slut, you know? Well, I think the quote you pulled by Marianne Faithful is about Mick Jagger is interesting because she said the blurring of sexual lines was part of the creative mix of the era, but also had its dark side. The homoerotic subculture had a virulent strain of misogyny to it as a nasty byproduct. And I feel like that is just- I was so impressed that Marianne Faithful said this. She was very smart when she wasn't high on heroin. I was just like, I love that. So I well, I just love that somebody who lived through it, who was Mick Jagger's girlfriend in the very early days, mm-hmm. can call it out as that. Like, I love that. Yeah. No, I think it's really powerful. And I think she has, like, a point because, as we already said, it's, like, they were towing this line between, like, masculine and feminine features and, like, ideologies and, like, how they dressed and how they acted. And yet, it's, like, if a woman were to, like, sex themselves up, like, Mick Jagger would sex himself up, it's, like, how dare you? (laughs) Yeah. And so this goes back to the point of, like, the second wave of feminism and um, the sexual revolution of, like, even though it was liberating for all genders, it still was not as acceptable for women 
to be like owning their sexuality. So like Brianne Jones, who helped put together this book, like she wrote an essay about her love of Bob Dylan, which I think is just quite interesting because Bob Dylan very much sings from like a working class American male background. And she was talking about how putting herself in his shoes could be quite difficult when listening to the lyrics. And I think that that's quite interesting because she's basically saying that like his music is provocative and the many of songs of the period identify sex as a point of vulnerability through which socially superior women can be brought down to the male narrator's level or destroyed completely. And I feel like, (laughs) I feel like that's like a very common issue of like men not ever wanting women to have any power whatsoever. And so it's like, if a woman comes off as more powerful than you, you're going to write songs about degrading her and you're going to hope that you can like get her in the bedroom and slap her around a bit. (laughs) But that's literally what it is. Like, is there, and that's the thing that, I don't know. I just find so interesting because there was also this chapter on ACDC where the guys from ACDC are like, oh, everything that we do in our music is like, we focus on writing the music and the lyrics are an afterthought. Like, it's just kind of a joke. And that makes the fact that most of their songs are like quite sexist. I mean, that sexism is the joke. It's a joke. And the women are that. the punchline. <clears throat> and it's just like, it's so frustrating because it's like ACDC does make good music and like a lot of their music is kind of women overpowering these men sexually which is quite interesting but it's still in a way of like yeah that's what she did to me as as like a bragging sort of thing and it's like you still thought of these lyrics even if you think they're a joke like they still came from your brain even if you're like at home with your grandkids sipping on some tea doesn't make you any less ACDC. The thing that's very frustrating about them saying their lyrics were a joke was that they're in a very privileged place to be able to joke about this. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about this earlier, but life and art is just like a perpetual cycle of influence. So it's like the culture is influencing the art. So that's why they think they can make a joke out of these lyrics. But in the same way, people are listening to these lyrics, maybe not knowing that it's a joke, which perpetuates sexism. That's why this is not a fucking joke. Like it's not funny. And the fact that they had the privilege to call it a joke is disgusting. Honestly, I I really like this. This is not sit with me it really like gets under my skin. It's so frustrating and like disgusting, honestly, because I mean, at least own the fact that you're kind of have internalized misogyny. Even if you're being like, oh, it's a joke. It's like your joke is caused by the consistent misogyny fed to us through other music and media and other things. And you going out there and performing these songs and like having on stage like a woman, like a women's thighs or whatever their like stage setup is that's like derogatory towards women. It's like no matter how much you try like with imagery or stage props or whatever, be like, see, look, it's a joke. Like, uh." it's like, no, that makes it seem even less like a joke because you're like, look how largely I'm willing to like derogatory, like be derogatory towards women. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so upsetting because I feel like so many people these days still live in that. Nothing's better than like old school rock music can do no wrong. And I know like ACDC is like a bit younger than like that heyday of rock, but it's still sort of like that bubble that most men, most white men wind up getting stuck in, no matter what era they're from. If they find rock music, they're like, this is it. This is the Mecca. 
like no matter who's making rock music nowadays like obviously like rock has changed whatever like but i mean the struts make rock music there's music being made today like that that's like in a different light that's like you don't have to just be like the only thing that exists is this music that hates ladies yeah going back to mick jagger the author of that essay Manon Steiner made the point that, and I, I think she, this was actually maybe an interview from, I don't know if it was Marianne Faithful, one of the other women he dated said like he was a very like kind emotional person. Mm-hmm. So there is this duality of like him actually being a good person and then him being a blatant misogynist tied up all in one nice little sex appeal package. But I think there's a quote from this chapter, but since women's liberation in the early 60s was still in its infant shoes and the early rock star mainly consisted of young men, girls' only means of getting close to their idols was through sex. For the first time, girls were not only allowed to be sexual, but encouraged by the musicians. And I think this quote perfectly epitomizes the idea of rock and roll, which has perpetuated through the decades to today of Mm -hmm. men realizing that like they can make music and women will swoon for them and they'll have power and women will want to sleep with them and so they can say whatever they want because that's how the rock and rollers did it that's how Mick Jagger did it so why can't I do that too and I think that's what's been with us this whole time and is now just coded as you've said in today's rock music yeah and i think that that kind of goes perfectly into like our next topic of this book of the like manipulation in music particularly in the emo pop punk genre of music because they've realized they need to be more coded and also they've leaned even farther into like the feminine male like beta male idea of things but the thing is is that like there's two subsections of beta male which is like men who it's like simps or himbos basically is the two (laughs) subsections of beta males it's like himbos worship women and are hot and deserve them and then simps are like well i guess maybe simps sort of fill that so it's like incels i guess (laughs) like it's like the bridge between incel and simp basically is like that other version of like a beta male of like these men who think that they can't get women but like can get them but they also like worship the idea of getting a woman but then like when women don't like them they're like how dare you and it's like but you're not you're not nice to me. (laughs) And and I feel like this is like the thought process behind a lot of what I've said of being like, I never realized until I was older that Fall Out Boy hated me. And it's just like the coded misogyny of these men who we look at as not a threat, you know? Because like Mm -hmm. you see like Pete Wentz or Gerard Way or like (sighs) Davey Havoc of AFI and you're like, that man can't hurt me. And he's like, bitch, watch me. Bringing around to Pete Wentz, some pretty gross things about him in this chapter I did not know. Oh, God. So Pete Wentz was talking about his girlfriend who we think was not of age at the time. She at some point was of age. Okay. At some point I just she- remember that when I was on Live Journal, she was definitely not that much older than me. Okay. So <laughs> suspicious things happening. But he said, I don't know if she cares about the songs as much as everybody else who listens to them does. I don't know if I could write them if she cared that much. If you could ever explain yourself to somebody, why would you keep explaining again and again? It's like one of those things where it's like, I don't want to hate Pete once, 
but sometimes I do. <laughs> because, I mean, they have consistent lyrics of not being super nice to women, as I keep saying in Sugar, We're Going Down. It's, he's just a notch in her bedpost, but she's just a line in a song. So, I mean, that's not nice. Also, it's just like in Dance Dance, it's the whole like, the opening line of the song is, she says she's no good with words, but I'm worse, barely stuttered out a joke of a romantic stuck to my tongue. And so it's just like the insinuation of like, he didn't even have to stutter out anything to get her in bed. You always fold just before you found out, drink up, it's last call, last resort, but only the first mistake. And so it's like talking about like taking this woman to bed. It's like, why can't you show me a little bit of spine you've been saving for his mattress? Like, mm. Very toted. <laughs> so... There's one in the book, a Fall Out Boy lyric, I could write it better than you ever felt it. And the author, Judith May Fothala, but she says, uh, authenticity of feeling and experience is reversed for the male narrator. So it just goes back to the point that I made earlier that like men have so much power to say whatever they want in these songs. And also another um, writer in this book, M. Smith, also said like, women are treated like dirt but they're the dirt that these men are allowed to stand on and all of their experiences all of their content is because of women and yet women are degraded so much in these songs and just like tossed to the wayside yeah and i mean like that's the whole thing and i feel like a lot of the occurrence in like the emo pop punk style of lyric writing and judith wrote it really well in her essay by saying like this whole like beta male misogyny thing of like the dominant figure of the male artist depends on his exceptional sensitivity his specialness in a painfully obtuse and mundane world and so it's like we view these men as like sad boys so we're just like oh they they're they can't hurt us like look at them these like skinny boys wearing eyeliner singing about how sad they are we could have some power there you know i feel like is the automatic thing and i feel like that's why a lot of teen girls feel safe in that realm because they're like these men can't hurt me to the same sense of like mr jock mcgee at your high school who's being rude to you you know and but then you like fall service to these mu- to this music to the point of where you're like I can't listen to Paramore or like I can't like Paris I can't listen to like Hey Monday or We're the In Crowd or whoever it is because these men are making you feel like it's their it's their world it's not it's not the woman's world like there's no place for women in emo and pop punk but there is I dare to say that female voices sound better singing pop punk music but that's a new take I have and I'm so proud of it (laughs) but I I just mean like there is that whole thing of like these men are focusing on like the hyper like homoeroticism of the genre and like leaning into like the androgynous vibes of it and then singing these like colloquialisms of internalized misogyny and it's like we we don't even know that they're hurting us which is the worst type of man (laughs) is the emotional abuser who makes you think that you need him to survive and that's what (laughs) that's what emo music is the emotional abuser that has convinced us we need them to survive oh wow i just gave myself therapy (laughs) (laughs) deep breaths moving from these men that we thought of as a safe space that actually weren't you have to at least slightly touch on the fact that like 
we also can't find safety in fellow women musicians a lot of the time. I think it's obviously gotten better over time (laughs) of like women singing like women's empowerment stuff. And I mean, obviously there's songs from days of yore that are women's empowerment songs. But I feel like especially in like the early 2000s, there was like a huge issue of women writing songs about hating women. And it would be a disservice to all of you to like not (laughs) touch on this at all in this. Because again, we're not passing the Bechdel test. Um, When you're talking about sexism, how can you pass the Bechdel test every time? Impossible. (laughs) When men are the ones perpetrating sexism. Duh. I know. It's it's a double-edged sword. So many double-edged swords. I'm just like falling all over them. (laughs) (laughs) Oi. But yeah, so we're definitely going to have like another full on episode just about why internalized misogyny women to women exists because I think that it's like a really important and interesting topic to talk about so you know how like in we did an episode like a music meltdown about like us jumping on the bandwagon very late to artists and like avoiding it on purpose this book kind of made me feel a bit better about me choosing not to listen to Taylor Swift because she terrified me But there is this chapter by Charlotte Lydia Riley in the book that kind of talks about Taylor Swift and how at the beginning of her career, there was a ton of internalized misogyny in her music. And uh, she grew, obviously, that dissipated, but she questions Taylor's growth. Um, No, I don't think it was her growth over the years. I think it was... There were some... There are some songs... Because she said, like, White Horse, which was on one of the earlier albums, was, like... Mm -hmm taking the narrative of like the princess and the prince like coming to her rescue and just like throwing that away and like her being like her saving herself Mm -hmm. so I think like throughout Taylor's work there's like really good examples of her like not falling into gender stereotypes but then there's other songs where they do fall into that and like Taylor's been accused of like using feminism when it's popular for her to do that and also using like a very white woman feminism yeah It's a whole can of worms. But obviously, I mean, just to kind of like wrap up the conversation in a way of being like, we acknowledge this, we're aware of it. We're not saying that women are not at fault either. I mean, like Misery Business by Paramore, Stupid Girls by Pink, Girlfriend by Avril Lavigne. Like there's tons of songs and lots to talk about with this, but we thought it was most important to talk about all the other <laughs> um, stories from decades past. 82% of music made by men. It's only fair <laughs> that, that female artists only get 20% of this episode because they only write 20% of they only made 20% of the mess. The 80%. Yeah, exactly. So we, we can't hate on them that much because they only made 20% of the mess. Wow. But I do think that that is a can of worms that we should unpack. Um, I don't know what you think. Yeah, I think we need to dedicate a whole episode to that. It's on the docket, but if you are really interested in hearing about it, if you have any songs you think of that like have to do with it, definitely let us know because as we said at the beginning, like there's not a ton out there about this subject, even though it's like been prevalent since the 60s and probably prior to that, which is quite depressing, honestly. How little like psychologists are like, let's look into this. They're not doing it enough. Everyone's at fault. We're just throwing the blame. <laughs>
in conclusion, I think it's funny when people say like, oh, it was a different time. And like, we would hold, we would have held Mick Jagger, David Bowie to different standards. I don't think that's true at all because there's so much sexism with our popular artists today. And we don't hold them to different standards to a certain degree. If Mm -hmm. they're, to a certain degree we do, but to a certain degree, if they're powerful, we let them get away with a lot and that is privilege. So I think it's, I just think it's fascinating to, to think in the context of like, actually today we still do have a lot of sexism. So we're not necessarily that much better than we were in the sixties. No, I think that, that was beautifully put. I think that you hit the nail on the head. Like we still have these issues. People are still sexist in songs, some blatant, some coded, but we're also getting smarter and the internet's available to us. So like you can Google up a lyric real quick and find out if it's internalized misogyny or not. I feel like if something sits uneasy with you in a song, just do a quick Google. Google is your friend. All right, so we are back with Band of the Week in 30 seconds or less. Sarah, are you ready? I am ready. I'm hopefully informed. (laughs) All right, let's take it away in three, two, one. Okay, I'm going back to my pop punk roots with this one. Um, I'm talking about Stand Atlantic, who is an Australian pop punk band with a female front person. Um, I have gone down this rabbit hole of pop punk music because of Machine Gun Kelly. So thank you, sir. Um, and I've just been playing like the Spotify radio based off of his stuff. But I found them because of that. They have this song called Jurassic Park, which is iconic and I love it. And I've been listening to them almost non-stop since then. So time's up, I think. <laughs> Perfect 30 seconds. That was cool. I didn't know they make pop punk music down in Australia. You mean five stars? <laughs> and of course they do, but you know. So we know that this episode was a ton of information, but we feel like you guys have been with us for four months now. You trust us. We trust you. We think you can handle it. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, every everything was like a fun little suitcase to unpack more at a later date. So you've gotten like two outfits out of all those topics. <laughs> You'll get the rest of the wardrobe later. <sighs> oh my God, I love this analogy. Yeah, I mean, looking into coded sexism has just really up my ability to uh, write analogies a la Pete Wentz, my, my number one internalized misogyny hero. Um, so yeah, so we're, we're very sorry if we've um, ruined anybody for you, <laughs> but being a music fan always means that somebody's going to be ruined for you at some point. So might as yep. well be here with us in a nice safe place. <laughs> in a safe environment where we can be your friend. Where we're here to decompress with you later on Twitter. <laughs> As per always. So yep. yeah, if you, if we've traumatized you, we're here for support and hot chocolate <laughs> at Name Three Songs on Twitter, Instagram. Come watch me make a fool of myself on TikTok. Yell at some old men who are rude to me for me. I'd love that. <laughs> and if you want to talk to us privately, I'm Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is Jenna underscore Million on all social media platforms. So we hope you enjoyed this conversation and thank you so much for joining us on Game of Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. It really helps. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.